0: Section number 52 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Naomi Brewster, Melbourne, Australia. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book number 8. CHAPTER THREE, PART FOUR, SPHERES OF ACTION, PROTESTANTISM Of these, there were only two or three who merit special consideration. Keziah, on his trial, had at first equivocated and denied that he had dogmatized, asserting that he had only spoken of these matters to those already converted. As a rule, all the prisoners eagerly denounced their associates, he may have been more reticent at first, for he was sentenced to torture in capital lanium. But when stripped, he promised to inform against him fully, which he did, including Carranza, among those who had misled him as to purgatory. He recanted, professed conversion, and eagerly sought reconciliation. The tribunal insisted on regarding him as chief of the conventicle, and, on the afternoon preceding the auto, it sent to his cell the prior of the Geronimite convent of Nuestra Señora de Prado, with one of his monks, Fray Antonio de la Carrera, to endeavor to extract further information. As officially reported by Fray Antonio, they found him in a dark cell, loaded with chains and with a pie de amigo encircling his head. He greeted them warmly, but when informed of their object protested that he had nothing to add to his confessions without bearing false witness against himself or others. For two hours they laboured with him in vain, and then told him that he was condemned to die. In the seclusion of his prison he knew nothing of the papal brief. He had fully expected to be admitted to reconciliation, and the announcement came like a thunderstroke. One version of the interview states that he fainted and lay insensible for an hour another that he was incredulous asking whether it would be possible and whether there was no escape he was told he might be saved if he would make a more complete confession but he repeated that he had already told the whole truth then he confessed sacramentally and received absolution after which he spent the time until morning in begging mercy of god and thanking god for sending him this affliction for his salvation he blessed and praised the Holy Office and all its ministers. Saying that it had been founded, not by the hand of man, but by that of God, he willingly accepted the sentence, which was just and merited. He did not wish for life and would not accept it for, as he had misused it in the past, so would it be in the future. All this was repeated when the usual confessors were admitted to his cell, and when morning came and the San Benito was brought, he kissed it, saying that he put it on with more pleasure than any garment he had ever worn. He declared that, when opportunity offered in the auto, he would curse and detest Lutheranism, and persuade everyone to do the same, with which purpose he took his place in the procession. So great was his emotional exultation that he fulfilled this promise, with such exuberance during the auto, that he had to be checked. After the sentences were read, and those who were to be relaxed were brought down, when he reached the lower step, he met his sister, who was condemned to perpetual prison. They embraced, weeping bitterly, and when he was dragged away, she fell senseless. On the way to the he continued to exhort the people and direct his efforts especially to the heroic Huizalio, who had steadfastly refused to abandon his faith and was to be burned alive we might possibly feel some suspicion of the accuracy of all this especially as the inquisition took the unusual step of having an official report of his behaviour drawn up and a briefer one attested june fifth by simon d and francisco de ruida the notaries who recorded the delivery of the relaxed to the magistrates we have however the independent testimony of an eye-witness the abbot alescus who tells us that after the degradation Casaya, with mitre on head and halter around his neck shed tears so copiously and loudly expressed his repentance with such unexampled fervour that all present were satisfied that, through divine mercy, he was saved. He said and did so many things that everyone was moved to commiseration. Most of his comrades in death showed resignation and all retracted publicly, though it was understood that with some, this was rather to escape burning alive than with any good purpose. It was otherwise with Horazulio, the only martyr in the group. He avowed his faith and resolutely adhered to it, in spite of all effort to convert him, and of the dreadful fate in store for him. On their way to the presidio Geziah wasted on him all his eloquence. He was gagged and could not reply, but his stoical endurance showed his unyielding pertinacity. When chained to the stake, a stone thrown at him struck him in the forehead, covering his face with blood. But as we are told, It did him no good. Then he was thrust through the belly by a pious halberdier. But this moved him not, and when the fire was set, he bore his agony without flinching, and to the general surprise, he thus ended diabolically. Aleskis, who stood so near that he could watch every expression, reports that he seemed as impassive as Flint. But though he uttered no complaint and manifested no regret, yet he died with the strangest sadness in his face, so that it was dreadful to look upon him as on one who, in a brief moment, would be in hell with his comrade and master, Luther. Perhaps the most pitiful case of all was that of his young wife, Leonore de Cisneros. But twenty-three years old, with life opening before her, She had yielded so promptly to the methods of the Inquisition that she escaped with perpetual prison. In the weary years of the Casa de la Penitencia, the burden on her soul grew more and more unendurable, and the example of her martyred husband stood before her in stronger light. At last she could bear the secret torture no longer. With clear knowledge of her fate, she confessed her heresy, and in 1567 she was put on trial again as a relapsed there could be no mercy for her but recantation might at least preserve her from death by fire and earnest efforts were made to save her soul they were unavailing she declared that the holy spirit had enlightened her and that she would die as her husband had died for christ nothing could overcome her resolution and in September 28, 1568, she atoned for her weakness of ten years before, and was burnt alive as an obstinate and penitent. The remainder of the Valladolid reformers were reserved for another celebration, October 8th, honoured with the presence of Philip II, who obediently took the customary oath with bared head and ungloved hand. It was, if possible, an occasion of greater solemnity than the previous one. A Flemish official, who was present, estimates the number of spectators at 200,000, and though he must have been hardened to such scenes at home, he cannot repress an expression of sympathy with the sufferers. Besides a Morisco who was relaxed, a Judaizer reconciled, and two penitents for other offences, There were twenty-six Protestants. The lesson was the same as in the previous auto, that few had the ardour of martyrdom. Thirteen had made their peace in time to secure reconciliation or penance. Even Juana Sanchez, who had managed to bring with her a pair of scissors and had cut her throat, recanted before death. But her confession was considered imperfect and she was burnt in effigy. Of the twelve relaxed in person, five manifested persistence, but only in two cases did this withstand the test of fire. Carlos de Ceso was unyielding to the end, and when we are told that he had to be supported by two familiars to enable him to stand when hearing his sentence, we can guess the severity of torture endured by him. Juan Sanchez was likewise pertinacious. When the fire was set, it burnt the cord fastening him to the stake. He leapt down and ran in flames. It was thought that he had wanted to confess, but when a confessor was brought, he refused to listen to him. One account says that the guards thrust him back into the flames, another that he looked up and saw Carlos de sazo calmly burning and himself leaping back into the blazing pile. Fray Domingo de Rojas presented a brave front and after his degradation, addressed the king, asserting his heresies until dragged away and gagged. But when brought to the stake, his heart failed him. He declared that he wished to die in the faith of Rome and was garroted. It was the same with Pedro de Cazalla and Pedro de Sotillo, who were gagged as unrepentant, but who were converted at the Brasero those who had merited mercy by prompt confession and denunciation of accomplices, were as a rule not severely penanced, and in many cases their punishment was abbreviated. There would appear to have been some especially severe disabilities inflicted on the descendants of Carlos de Ceso, extending to the female line, removable only by the Holy See, for in 1630, urban eighth at the special request of philip the fourth granted to caterina de castilla granddaughter of isabel de castilla wife of carlos de ceso a dispensation to hold honours and dignities secular and spiritual thus was exterminated the nascent protestantism of valladolid meanwhile the seville tribunal had been struggling with the mass of work thrown upon it by the capture of julian hernandez and don juan Ponce de leon so numerous were the arrests that the rule had been broken which forbade the confinement of accomplices together and as the circle widened arrests had to be postponed in expectation of an auto fe that should empty the cells until June 6, 1559, the tribunal asked for power to requisition houses to serve as prisons. To hasten the work, early in 1559, Bishop Manebrega de Tarazona, an old inquisitor, was sent to Seville to aid the tribunal, but he was excessively severe, desiring to burn everyone. He soon became involved in bickering and recrimination with the inquisitors Carpio and Gasca, of whom he complained bitterly. Votes in Discordia were frequent, appeals to the Suprema were constant, and the work was delayed. It was not until September twenty-fourth, 1559, that an auto could be celebrated. If all old Castile had poured into Valladolid, so all Andalusia manifested its religious zeal by crowding into Seville. Three days in advance, the people began to assemble, until the city could hold no more, and they were obliged to sleep in the fields. The stagings and scaffoldings were on the most extensive scale, and a place was specially provided for the Duchess of Baya and her friends, who apparently desired the pleasure of seeing her kinsmen, juan ponce de leon relaxed as was so often the case the solemnities were somewhat marred by an unseemly contest for precedence between the civil and ecclesiastical authorities which was renewed at the auto of fifteen sixty and was not settled for several years the services of thirty-eight frailes and jesuits were required to prepare for their doom those who were to be relaxed the most prominent of the victims was Don Juan Ponce de Leon, who had remained hardened during his two years of confinement in the belief that a man of his rank would not be burnt. He was an ardent Protestant. He had founded in his lands a sort of church where worship was conducted in secret. He had gone to the presero, where, raising his hands to heaven, he had wished to God that he could be burnt there to ashes with his wife and children in defence of his faith, and he had said that if he had an income of 20,000 ducats, he would spend it all in evangelising Spain. But when he learned his fate that night, he professed conversion. On the staging, he busied himself in urging his fellow convicts to abandon their errors and he made an exemplary end with tears and repentance. The next most conspicuous sufferer was the licenciado Juan Gonzales, a famous preacher. He was of Moorish descent, and, when only twelve years old, had been penanced at Cordova for Moorish errors. Throughout his trial, he had steadily refused to incriminate others, and during the night, he answered the Padre's exhortations, with the Psalms of David. On the staging, he talked heresy with his two sisters until he was gagged and all three were burnt. The most interesting victim was Maria de Bohorquis, aged 26, natural daughter of Piero Garcia de Ziris, a prominent citizen of Seville. She was a disciple of Cassiodoro de Reina, highly educated and thoroughly conversant with scripture in both its literal and spiritual senses. When the confessors entered her cell that night, she received them pleasantly and expressed no surprise at their fateful message. It was in vain that relays of frailes sought her conversion. Dominicans followed Jesuits and Franciscans succeeding the Carmelites. She met all their arguments with biblical texts, and was the only one of the condemned who defended her faith. Thus she passed the night until summoned to the procession. On the staging, Ponce de Leon sought to convert her, but she silenced him, saying that it was a time for meditation on the saviour. She treated the frailes who surrounded her as troublesome to meddlers, but at three o'clock she yielded to their entreaties relapsing soon afterwards, however, to her errors, and she was burnt. Another prominent culprit was Hernando de San Juan, master of the Doctrina Cristiana, for children in Seville. He was an obstinate heretic who resisted all efforts at conversion. After his sentence was read, the Inquisitors asked whether he persisted in his errors, when he emphatically answered in the affirmative. Thereupon he was gagged, which he endured as though thanking God that it was given him to suffer for his sake. At length, however, he was persuaded by the frailes to escape burning alive by conversion, but his salvation, we are told, was uncertain as he had been impenitent until then. Altogether, at this auto, there were relaxed in person eighteen Lutherans, beside the effigy of the fugitive francisco de Zafra, two of these were foreigners carlos de bruyas a fleming and antonio baldi a frenchman master of the ship unicornio evidently full use was made of the power to execute repentant converts but whether any persisted to the end and were burnt alive cannot be gathered with certainty from any of the relations The only guide we have is a general assertion of Aleskis that, in this and subsequent autos in Seville, there were forty or fifty Lutherans executed, of whom four or five suffered themselves to be burnt alive. Besides those executed, there were eight Lutherans reconciled, three abjured for vehement suspicion, and ten for light suspicion, making forty in all. Two houses were ordered to be torn down and sowed with salt, those of Louis de Abrego and Isabel de Baena, which had been used for meetings. There were also 34 culprits for other offences, 14 moriscos, of whom three were relaxed, one Judaizer reconciled, four bigamists, two blasphemers, twelve for holding fornication not to be a sin, and one false witness, making a total of 74 and giving the crowd ample entertainment. The work went on with unrelaxing vigour, but it was not until December 22, 1560 that another jail delivery could be arranged. Of this auto, we have the dry official report, which shows that there were 14 relaxations in person and three in effigy the latter being the deceased Dr. Igadio and Dr. Constantino and the fugitive Juan Pérez de Pineda. There were 15 reconciled and imprisoned, five abjurations de vehementi, and three de Levi, and there was one acquittal, making 41 in all, but soon afterwards there were 16 Spaniards and 26 foreigners discharged as innocent showing how reckless and indiscriminating had been the arrests. Whether any of the relaxed persisted to the end and were burnt alive is not recorded, for the only remark accompanying the report is that there were no offensive speeches, because those likely to utter them were duly gagged in advance. Of these, there were two or three deserving special notice. At the head of the list of sufferers stood Julian Hernandez, who had left his safe retreat in Frankfurt on the desperate errand of evangelising Spain. He had lain three years in prison, and if Gonzales de Montes is to be believed, he bore unshrinkingly repeated torture without betraying his associates, and when carried back to his cell, would inspirit his fellow prisoners by chanting along the corridors. Vencidos van los frailes, vencidos van. Corridos van los lobos, corridos van. Montes adds that he persisted to the end when, after the fagots were lighted, a fraile had his gag removed in hopes of his yielding and, disgusted with his obduracy, cried, Kill him, kill him, when the guards thrust their weapons into him. It may be hoped that he was spared the final agonies, but there are not wanting indications that, towards the close of his imprisonment, his resolution gave way, and that he furnished evidence against his comrades. The one acquittal was that of Dona Juana de Borquis, wife of Don Francisco de Vargas, and sister of the Maria de Borquis, who had perished in the previous auto. She died in prison, and it was her fame and memory that were absolved. Gonzales de Montes says that her death was caused by atrocious torture, and the case has, thanks to Laurenti, served as a base for one of the severest accusations against the Inquisition. In the absence of the documents, the truth of the story cannot be ascertained, but if true it manifests more readiness to render a righteous judgment at the cost of self-condemnation than we are accustomed to attribute to the inquisition seville as a chief commercial centre of spain naturally attracted many merchants and mariners and this auto furnishes an illustration of inquisitorial methods of discouraging commerce Among the relaxed there were three foreigners, a Frenchman named Bartholomew Fabrio and two Englishmen, William Brook and Nicholas Burton, either Burton or Britton. Of the two former we know only their fate, but of the latter we chance to have some details. Burton was a shipmaster or supercargo who made no secret of the reformed faith in which he had been trained. Wherefore, he was arrested, and all the merchandise in his charge was sequestrated. One of the owners, seeking to recover his property, sent a young man named John Frampton to reclaim it. After months of delay, he was told that his papers were insufficient when he went back to London and returned to Seville with what was needed. More delays ensued, and when he was cast into the secret prison on the charge that a suspicious book had been found in his baggage, the book being an English translation of Cato, his trial was protracted, though he made no secret of his belief. He was tortured until he fainted, and when his endurance was exhausted, he consented to adopt Catholicism. Burton was more persistent and was burnt. Frampton after fourteen months of confinement escaped with reconciliation confiscation and a year of san benito and prison with orders never to leave spain all the goods under burton's charge were confiscated frumpton figured his own loss at seven hundred and sixty pounds and the whole confiscations at the auto at the enormous sum of fifty thousand pounds doubtless an exaggeration but the whole affair indicates that the profitable side of persecution was not lost to sight. End of section 52